Well, good morning. Welcome back after a nice long Memorial Day weekend. I hope that you're able to join me this morning on this Tuesday, June 1st. Oh my goodness, we're in June already. That's fantastic. And the weather is really nice out there. Another blue sky day. And uh, I'm just so glad to have you with me this morning. And I have a few kind of housekeeping things I'd like to share with you as we get started this morning. Uh, first of all, um, I'm just going to say that this week and next week uh, in this series of mine on the Apostles is going to be my last series of doing early morning devotions. I've prayed a lot about it and I've thought a lot about it and I had said early on that when we went back to full capacity in the sanctuary without masks um, that I would uh, that's, that would be the end point of my early morning devotions and that's happening now in church and so uh, this week and next week is going to be my last uh, weeks of early morning devotion and I will really miss it in a way uh, but on the other hand uh, I have a lot of other things that I need to be working on as well right now as we kind of ramp back up with some other ministries and so um, and I just want to bless you and thank you so much for coming along this journey with me the other uh, just point of housekeeping that I'd like to share with you is that uh, tomorrow morning's devotion I'm hoping to pre-record this afternoon so that you'll still have it tomorrow but tomorrow I have a doctor's appointment to go to early in the morning and I'll be having some uh, some more cancer um, uh, removed off my face as I did a couple of years ago and uh, just a thing that happens I guess as we get older and so uh, uh, I'll be missing tomorrow morning um, and then maybe when you see me Thursday I'll have a bandage on my face from the removal we'll see I'm not sure how it's gonna go but going up to the Mohs Clinic in Portland tomorrow most of the day alright so today we're talking about James son of Zebedee and uh, I want everyone to turn this morning to Mark chapter 3, which is one of the lists of apostles. And uh, in Mark chapter 3, uh, we hear about J uh, J James and John, the sons of thunder. Jesus went up on a mountainside. This is Mark 3.13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve designated them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerja, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, sons of, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And so here we have uh, this nickname that Jesus gave to James and John, who are brothers. The nickname was Sons of Thunder. And that's why I'm reading from Mark chapter 3 this morning instead of from Luke chapter 6. Now, <clears throat> uh, of course, Peter, James, and John were kind of the three inner core apostles for uh, Jesus. But of those three inner core, James is the least well-known. We really don't know a lot about James. Um, and we certainly don't know a lot about him in stories that only include him. There's only one story in the Bible that includes just the Apostle James, and that's his martyrdom, which is a big part of his story, actually, in Acts chapter 12. We'll get to that eventually. Um, 
But one of the things in history that we come to realize about James is that James and John, who are brothers and are sons of Zebedee, come most likely from a very prominent family in their area. And we know this, of course, first of all from the Bible, because uh, Zebedee had a business, a fishing business, but not just he, or not even just he and his brothers, but uh, uh, Zebedee, I'm sorry, his sons, Zebedee and his sons, and then they employed others. And so the business was uh, a happening thing. And so likely there was some economic prominence of this family. Uh, not only that, but some extra biblical literature indicates that Zebedee had some influence with the chief priest, uh, likely again because of his economic success. Um, and then the other thing that we need to realize about James is that he's listed very early on in the list of apostles, right? So you have Peter and James, right, in two lists mentioned first. So James is mentioned second in two of the lists. In the other two lists, he's mentioned third. Uh, and so actually pretty high up on the list. And I've mentioned before to you that the list, the, the order of the lists is significant, um, uh, scholars believe, and that the ones who are first in the list have actually a bit more influence in the group. And so James, as it turns out, is probably a very ambitious person. Uh, in fact, some scholars say he's a very passionate person. James, the passionate apostle, partly because of his nickname, and then as we'll see in the stories, because of the things that he does and says. Okay, And then tie that in with the great likelihood that his father and his family had great influence, great prominence in the community, uh, just again lends to that idea that he had quite a bit of impact amongst the twelve. Um, then uh, what I want you to see is that Jesus uh, must be, I'm sorry, James must be considered one of Jesus's core leaders because of the multiple events that we see the three apostles then listed in the Bible. So Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John again and again and again, right, are listed as Jesus' core disciples who get to do things that the other 12 didn't get to do. Let me just name a few. The resurrection of Jairus' daughter. Jesus brought along Peter, James, and John. Okay? Uh, the Mount of Transfiguration story in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus brings along Peter, James, and John. The private conversation that Jesus had with those three on the Mount of Olives. This is Mark chapter 13. Peter, James, and John got to be there. The prayer with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, Mark chapter 14. Again, with Peter, James, and John. And so just think about this. James had the privilege of witnessing Jesus' resur um, resurrection power when he resurrected Jairus' daughter. He had the privilege of seeing Jesus' transfigured glory in the Mount of Transfiguration. He got to see Jesus' private teaching. And finally, he got to see Jesus' agony in the garden. All very much a privilege that only the three inner core disciples got to see. Now, James was, of course, as I mentioned, one of the two disciples that he nicknamed Sons of Thunder. But why did he do that? What was behind that nickname, Sons of Thunder? Well, we do actually have some... Uh, some clear indication of what that was. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. 
we have the first of three stories that I'm going to share with you. And this comes out of verse 51 through 56 of Luke chapter 9. Starting in verse 51, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Here's the setting. They're going to Jerusalem, uh, going to worship in Jerusalem. They decide to go through Samaria, and perhaps you've learned over the years as a Christian that Jews normally didn't walk through Samaria. They usually walked around it and took the long road. Not Jesus. He goes right straight through. He takes the straight road because he loves everybody, including the Samaritans. He doesn't hate anybody, right? And so he he sends his messengers ahead to go into this Samaritan village to set things up. The Samaritans say, no way, we're not going to accept you here. And so they have to go somewhere else. But look at what James and John say, of course, right? James and John call out, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? Right? That's crazy. What in the world? Where did that come from? <laughs> right? Where did this like violent statement like that come from? Well, listen, it didn't just come out of nowhere. This is actually uh, kind of a reference to an Old Testament event that took place there um, in which Elijah called down fire from heaven upon King Ahaziah's soldiers who were going out to try to kill Elijah. And this was in Second um, Kings chapter 1, if you want to go back and read that sometime. But they're kind of alluding to that, saying, shall we do the same thing? Really feeling the power, right? Really feeling the power of Jesus here. And hey, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? Even Actually, some manuscripts in verse 54 add the words, even as Elijah did. Do you want us to call down heaven, a fire from heaven, even as Elijah did? But look at Jesus' response in verse 55. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. He rebuked them and then went to another village. You might have a footnote in your Bible, as I do, that in some manuscripts there was some additional words there in verse 55. In some manuscripts it reads, And he said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. You see, Jesus is telling James and John, You've got it wrong. It says, this movement is not about violence. This movement is about love. Anyway, likely they get their nickname from that story where they're trying to they're trying to call down fire from heaven. So Jesus calls them sons of thunder, right? This is great. So, so now you know uh, where that nickname probably comes from. Okay, let's look at another passage about James. And this is Matthew now, Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. <clears throat> and it's just two verses I want you to look at uh, to begin with. 
Matthew 20, verse 20 says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Wow, right? You really wonder from this story if maybe um, their mother and the whole family really pulling strings here, right? Really pulling out the, we're the prominent family in town. We're the ones, right? We are the ones who should have the influence. So Jesus, don't you think my sons should be at your right and at your left? Of course, they're thinking politically. Again, they're thinking that the movement is all about politics and power and war and violence. But no, Jesus uh, says no. That's not what it's that's not what it's about. And I think we need to realize here too that knowing that James and John were such ambitious men, such passionate men, it was likely that they actually put their mother up to it, right? Now sometimes we blame this on the mother and we say that, well, no, James and John, they're just kind of, you know, following along what what mom wants to do. Uh, I'm not so sure about that because from the other accounts of who James and John are, they're very passionate individuals, very passionate people, ambitious. So it kind of goes in line with, uh, with their personalities here. And perhaps they even put their mother up to it. But look what Jesus' response was, verse 22, of course. Some of you know this. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Well, Jesus kind of set them straight, didn't he? And then, of course, his, the other apostles were ticked off at James and John for having said all this, right? Didn't sit right with them. Um, but again, what we're seeing here is James is a very passionate person, and he's passionate because of Jesus. He loves Jesus. Of course, he's got some some personality quirks and maybe even some personality problems. But he's passionate for Jesus. And I want to be passionate for Jesus as I know that you do too. Now we see one more way in which we determine that James was a passionate follower of Christ in Acts chapter 12. And this is the account of his martyrdom. So in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we see... James becoming the first apostle to be martyred. It says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Again, James was the only apostle martyred that we know of in the scriptures. And all the other martyrdoms from all the other apostles um, come down to us from tradition or from extra biblical literature. But James, it's right here in Acts chapter 12. He wasn't the first disciple to be martyred. Of course, that was Stephen. But he's the first apostle, the first one of the 12 to be martyred. And we have a record of it here. It says that he was, he was killed by Herod with a sword which implied means beheaded, because that's what they did with their swords when they were killing people. So he was beheaded. Not, this is not Herod Antipas, 
the Herod who killed John the Baptist or put Jesus and put Jesus on trial, but rather this would have been Herod Antipas's son, Herod Agrippa the first. Anyway, the point is that we need to see um, why did James get get singled out by this Herod? Well, it's quite likely that James got singled out because he was the most vocal. He was the most passionate. Likely he was the one making most of the stir at that point. And again, this just adds to the notion that James was a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Imagine being with Jesus like James got to be, one of the inner core, right? Called one of the, called one of the sons of thunder. Imagine the experience that he had with Jesus being totally transformed, wonderfully transformed and changed by Jesus. You'd be passionate too. I'd be passionate too. And I want to have that kind of passion because Jesus is the one who's changed my life. Jesus is the hero in the story. Again, we focus on the, on the apostles in each of these stories, but Jesus comes out in the end as the story, as the hero, as the one that we need to focus on. Yes, James. James was transformed, but it was because of Jesus. He's in our lives, and he's in our lives today, in our hearts, isn't he, through the Spirit of Christ residing within us. And so I just trust and pray that you're going to have a great, passionate day in the Lord, and that the people that you touch and the people that you influence would know that Jesus is at the center of your life, like he was for James. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful day. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that Jesus is the hero each and every day. God, I thank you that you've given us this day. You've created it for us. You've created it, Lord, for your glory. And we get to live it. And so, Lord, I pray that we would glorify you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you all. I'll see you tomorrow morning, Thursday morning, and then all of next week. Looking forward to continuing to open up the Word of God with you. Talk to you later.